Welcome to Blind Squirrel Macro the Pod, our usual companion to the weekly newsletter which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. Squirrel here on the morning of Tuesday the 23rd of January. This morning the pod comes to you from the seaside and the beautiful Mornington Peninsula as the squirrels are working remotely for the last few days of the summer holidays. First, the usual message from legal, but this time with a difference. Mrs. Squirrel, my personal legal eagle, has kindly volunteered to deliver it in person. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any investment decisions, for heaven's sake, don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. The squirrel has regained control of the microphone. Thanks, Mrs. Squirrel. Um, I usually find that some of the best of idea, investment ideas come when numerous prompts from multiple sources hit me at roughly the same time. Um, Having worked in the sector, I follow themes in the car industry very closely. The current narrative seesaw around electric vehicles is peculiar. Something very odd is going on. Early last year, I wrote a piece called Ben Graham's Electric Car. Um, In it, I was wary of the direct electric vehicle plays and ran through various alternative investment approaches, ranging from the cell manufacturers to battery metals miners and commodity currencies. Let me, let me read out an extract first. Um, the electric vehicle investment theme fast became the preserve of stock promoters and carnival barkers. And I'm not just talking about everyone's favorite aspiring Mars colonist. The electrification of passenger vehicles is a broad topic and I want to take a step back to figure out how to make money in a way that is not reliant on the greater fool theory that is buying mar- narrative stocks. In the story category, I include pre-production lithium miners as much as car companies that do not yet sell cars. I think we can safely say that we're probably, thankfully, over the SPAC phase of the electric vehicle revolution. I'm sure that there's still tons of fun to be had in the event-driven world of Fisker, Lucid and Nikola short squeezes, but we'll leave all of that to the Reddit and Wall Street Bets crew and for Ken Griffin to take their money. Enough ink has been spilled over Tesla, very much not a stock for the squirrel. And if you want a purish EV play in China, there's really no point in looking much beyond BYD. Sorry guys, Neo, Xiaopeng and Li Auto are just trading sardines. Detailed view is not for publication, but I'd be happy to elaborate over a beer or a decent glass of wine. Now, the final offer at the end of that passage still stands. Um, In the end... I chose to play the whole theme via Mercedes-Benz. Sure, Mercedes has a strong electrification story to tell, but I was motivated more by the possibility of the German OEM repositioning itself as a luxury play. I'd sold my LVMH position way too early in the summer of 2022, and I suspect that at heart I was really on the hunt for a value angle into rebuilding my luxury exposure. As it turns out, I should have just bought Tesla after all. Mercedes is off 11% after dividends. Tesla is, on the other hand, up about 16% over the same time period. BOID ended up being flat. Um, Global X's lithium ETF, LIT, is down 25%. CATL, the Chinese battery giant, down 28%. And NEO, um, the so-called Chinese Tesla, down 28% as well. Well, at least I didn't buy back into LVMH. They've lost 16% over the same time period. Now, shortly before Christmas, my friend Le Shrub slid into my direct messages. 
Now, I first met Financial Twitter's favourite priest of greenery and now a fellow substacker during my days as an auto exec when he came to watch me debate the future of electric vehicles on a panel with none other than Formula One champion or former Formula One champion Nico Rosberg. It was at a UBS conference in Monaco. Now, I'm pretty certain that the shrub was not there to hear the squirrel waffle on about battery chemistry, but he messaged me as follows. Here's one for the Squirrel EV expert. My buddy in the US tells me out of the blue that he's seeing Rivian trucks all the time. Amazon Rivian trucks. And I got triggered. Are we missing a trick here with Rivian? I promised I would give the question some proper thought. Now, looking back at the stock promoters and carnival barkers phase of the electric vehicle revolution, I always had a bit of a soft spot for Rivian and its beautiful electric pickup trucks. Its thoughtful and charismatic CEO, RJ Scarringe, was a truly welcome antidote to some of the thought leaders in the space. Yep, I'm looking at you, Messrs. Musk, Milton and Fisker. Pulling in strategic investments from Ford and from Amazon in the first quarter of 2019 was a gangster move, and frankly certainly raised the bar for a certain rodent out in Asia who was trying to raise money for his fledgling EV company in Shanghai. Several calls from the chairman about how come he wasn't getting any Jeff Bezos love. You get the drift. I well remember attending Deutsche Bank's flagship flagship auto conference that ice-cold January in Detroit. RJ's presentation was a standing Ramonly affair box office in in that cavernous MGM Grand Ballroom. I was frankly green with envy as I scurried back upstairs to my hotel bedroom converted to a meeting room to take care of the visitors on my pretty threadbare one-on-one roadshow schedule. No shade on Deutsche, Deutsche Bank being cast there. Filling schedules for private companies at conferences is damn hard. Unless, of course, Amazon has just taken a minority stake in you. Anyway, my pal, the shrub, was looking at the everything rally of last November and December and was effectively and probably correctly wondering if lightning could strike twice. We all remember Tesla's moments on life support in the dark days before those miraculous share price returns. Was Rivian to be the next Tesla or was it to continue languishing in the capital incinerating cohort of EV startups? I had a look at the up-to-date comps. The detailed numbers are in the written note, um, but to cut a long story short, basically none of the electric vehicle startups of the past few years are anywhere near break-even. Looking at the table of consensus analyst estimates for Rivian itself, you can almost hear the strain of the Excel gymnastics as the forecasters eke out some token positive cash flows in three years' time and some tiny positive earnings in year five. We all know that those dates will inevitably slip. Spare me the confidence of that scribe that was trying to forecast profit margins between 2029 and 2032. Anyway, I wrote back to the shrub after Christmas. Hi, I've been looking at Rivian over Christmas. I'm struggling to see how they ever make money. 100% a story stock with a CEO, CEO that is less of a blank than Musk. Can rally with the shitcos, of course, but there is no fundamental bull case. Might as well buy ARKK calls. Happy Christmas, mate. R. Replied, thanks, bud. Appreciate your views. I haven't bought any. Just wondering what what the F is going on with it. Seems like they can't make money on a per unit basis anyway. That's right. Perpetual margin crisis. If you think their trucks, trucks are expensive to buy, try repairing one. 
Now that final reference to repairing Rivian trucks must have been top of my head because I'd just been reading a terrific note from Squirrel subscriber David Selko that was looking at the spiralling insurance and maintenance costs facing US drivers. $40,000 to replace a single panel on a Rivian truck. Now I can't see that becoming a mass market item. Bottom line, lightning really strikes the same point twice and the squirrel remains pretty doubtful that the auto sector is going to give us another Tesla. I struggle to understand Rivian's path to per unit profitability and Scarringe does not appear to be playing the narrative shift games. He has none of Musk's humanoid robots, driverless cars, none of the we're an energy company really or we're an AI company narrative that is necessary to distract the cult followers from those all-critical KPIs. To be clear, I would own a Rivian R1T truck over a Tesla Cybertruck any day of the week, but Mr. Scarringe probably needs to brush up on his stock promotion skills. I'm sure there are courses available from the junior mining community to start, perhaps in Vancouver or, for that matter, over in Perth. So while on the topic of narratives, have you noticed how they've been shifting lately? EV negative articles are everywhere. And it's not just from the usual suspects. I've stumbled on borderline EV skeptic commentary in the Financial Times, the New York Times, Bloomberg and CNN in the past few weeks. Viewpoints that are completely at odds with the traditional rah-rah editorial narrative of those outlets when it comes to the energy transition. The fact that Ben Hunt of Epsilon Theory, the actual high priest of media nudging narrative studies, commented on this as well last week definitely triggered the squirrels, why am I reading this now, Claxon? To be honest, if a narrative shift is coming from the top via what Ben calls fiat news, it's not clear to me why. Are the hard realities of physical commodity markets finally colliding with the lofty ambitions of the energy transition? Or... Maybe faced with the reality that China has taken full advantage of its 10-year head start in vehicle electrification, is geopolitics possibly playing a role here in an election year on both sides of the Atlantic? No country or politician seeking re-election for that matter stands idly by when their domestic car industry is under threat. Never underestimate the iconic importance of the auto industry to the national psyche. Down here in Australia, you'll often see grown men go misty-eyed in contemplation of the demise of Holden, the local auto champion. Even though Holden had been a subsidiary of General Motors since, wait for it, 1931. What started with the EU moaning about the flood of cheap Chinese EVs to Europe has now hit the shores of the US, who, no doubt prompted by that traditional kiss of death, a cover story on The Economist, are now talking about import tariffs. Ford CEO Jim Farley dedicated a decent chunk of last week's earnings call to the topic of China's emergence as a global auto exporter. Could it be that BYD's 60 roll-on, roll-off car carriers on order are even more scary for the political elites than their own aircraft carrier battle groups that are struggling to keep the Red Sea open at the moment? In our original Mercedes piece, we observed that Mercedes are taking themselves out of the volume game to focus on the core and top-end luxury segments. Wealthy consumers are also likely to be the early adopters of EVs, especially outside of China. Let's be clear, outside of China, EVs are a luxury item. Ford's Jim Farley said the quiet bit out loud last week. 
Chinese OEMs, thanks to a great deal of state assistance, let's be honest, are the only players that have cracked the code to low-cost EVs. China also pretty much has a monopolistic position when it comes to the EV supply chain, batteries, rare earths, things like that. As such, their feat is unlikely to be duplicated elsewhere. Farley acknowledged that the customer base for his $100,000 electric F-150 Lightnings were pretty much tapped out, and that mainstream customers, I quote, are not willing to pay the same premiums as the early adopters. So let's consider those three C's that challenge the broad-based adoption of EVs, cost, capacity, and convenience. Now cost, aside from what the Chinese exporters potentially offer, affordable EVs are not mainstream. Capacity, sometimes referred to as range anxiety, is actually closely connected to cost. Longer ranges mean bigger battery packs and higher costs. Convenience. The lack of a high-speed public charging infrastructure means a significant barrier to consumer adoption in most markets outside of China. Now, remember all those hockey stick charts from the EIA forecasting EV domination by 2030? I suspect that the new, tar- the new narrative that we're hearing is rolling the pitch to manage public expectations around the pace of EV penetration going forward. So where are the investment opportunities if indeed these charts turn out to be too optimistic? Well, that brings me to my next prompt. My friend Eric of Your Weekend Reading Substack and I have been discussing the automotive sector for several months. We're in fact both Mercedes-Benz bag, bag holders. His factor screening model scores global stocks on the basis of earnings momentum, price momentum and valuation. Auto OEMs and automotive suppliers have been shooting up that leaderboard of late. We've also discussed the EV conundrum and kicked ideas around along the lines of taking contrarian positions in platinum and palladium. Have these metals been sold off too aggressively if it turns out that we're going to need catalytic converters for many years to come? Now these conversations led us to jointly record a really interesting discussion last week with Stephen Schlegel from Grey Oak Capital Management. It's available on YouTube for free and there's a link in the written note. Stephen has done some really fascinating research looking at the connections between US automotive, the, the US automotive depreciation cycle and earnings upturns for the automotive sector and its suppliers on a lag. Some of the subsectors look really attractive right now. I've certainly got about 20 pages worth of notes from our conversation, which also pulled on threads from a bunch of other themes that we've been looking at recently. This is where we're going to be doing our digging for our next acorn. It should be hitting inboxes um, in the next week or so. So let's go to this week's final thought. Now, I know that many of my followers are just here for the 1980s cultural references. I'm looking at you here, Kevin Muir. Um, Now that EV companies are being rebadged as AI companies by sociopathic leaders looking for a cap table do-over, I'm referring, of course, to Elon Musk whinging that his Twitter ego trip has cost him a huge stake in Tesla. Um, The sceptical title of this week's note was inspired by the last time sentient computers and AI mania hit the collective consciousness. Now, that was 40 years ago. 2024 is the 40th anniversary of that 1984 B-move, Electric Dreams, which features none other than a love triangle between an architect, a cellist, and wait for it, a personal computer that has been damaged by a champagne spill.
It wasn't, an, it wasn't a one-off. The previous year gave us another sentient supercomputer with attitude, um, with the premiere of war games, um, with Joshua threatening global thermonuclear war if it could not be beaten at a futile game of tic-tac-toe, or should I say noughts and crosses. The next year, 1985, was the real treat, weird science. Our dreams were stalked by the magnificent Kelly LeBrock as Lisa, the teenage boy's idea of computer-created female perfection. Are we together in electric dream dreams? I think perhaps not. Well, that's all week, all this week for the um, for for us on the pod. Um, in the written note this week, um, there's a second section for paid subscribers where we've been discussing some important changes to our bond, uranium, and broader energy positioning. Please find out more about the squirrel at blindsquirrelmacro.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at squirrelmacro. Thanks for listening. Squirrel out.